the Start Your Own Business podcast. Hear inspiring startup stories and get reliable expert advice on how to start your business and get off to the best possible start. Brought to you by Startup Donut, helping small businesses succeed. Hello and welcome. I'm Chloe Thomas, best-selling author and host of the award-winning e-commerce master plan podcast. It is a real privilege to be a part of this brand new show, which is packed with practical advice intended to help you to successfully set up a new business and get off to a great start. We want to help you to save time and money when starting your business and avoid some common pitfalls. This is the Start Your Own Business podcast by Startup Donut in association with the Federation of Small Businesses. And those are two brilliant organisations that you can turn to for information when starting or running your small business. Throughout the series, we're going to be answering key startup questions, and you're also going to get to learn from some of the most reliable experts of all. That's the people who've started their own business, who've been there and done it. And today, we are bringing you one of these great real-life startup stories. We're getting into the world of catering, into the world of um, street food events and restaurants and exploring a really interesting startup story that involves an awful lot of minis. Um, Well, look, before we meet our guest and you find out what I'm actually talking about, please do check out our sponsors. This series of the Start Your Own Business podcast is brought to you by Startup Donut in association with the Federation of Small Businesses. Running your own business is exciting. You've got a great idea, the ambition to succeed and lots of questions about how you can make your business a success in tough times. That's why the Federation of Small Businesses is behind you every step of the way, whatever your ambitions. FSB is proud to be the leading voice of 5.8 million small businesses and self-employed people like you across the UK, working to promote and protect your interests. With 24-7 legal support, nationwide virtual networking events, market-leading benefits and a powerful voice heard in governments, FSB are by your side so you can get it right from day one. The new Startup Hub has everything you need to know about starting a business, including business law basics, finance fundamentals and how to secure your first sale. From startup to scale up, start your business journey with FSB. Find out more and download the free startup guide today by visiting fsb.org.uk forward slash start. It's time to introduce you to our guest, Lee Desange. Lee is the founder of Birmingham-based Baked in Brick, a business he launched in 2015 from his garden shed. Soon, Lee was cooking and selling barbecue chicken tikka wraps out of a modified mini Cooper, as well as wood-fired style pizza at street food events. More recently, Lee opened his own Baked in Brick restaurant at the Custard Factory in Birmingham. All that sounds utterly delicious, Lee. I wish we were doing this face to face. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. And it's, it's great to have you here to give us a, a, really, a really different insight into setting up a business. So um, what led you to start your business? Um, I've always had a love affair with, with food. I mean, I trained at college as a chef, so I've worked in and out of kitchens, you know, since I was sort of like 15, 16. Um, but I had a huge passion for street food. I love going to street food events. 
often when we'd go on holiday, we wouldn't ever really go and sightsee. We'd kind of go around restaurants and different street food festivals and markets and that sort of thing. And I just thought I'd kind of try and bite the bullet and set my own one up. Very cool. And what, what were you doing at the point where you decided to start the business? What did the rest of your life look like? So, like I said, I've been working in restaurants all my life, um, in different different restaurants. When I left college, I went and worked at Le Manoir, which is a two mission style restaurant. I was only there for three or four months, came back to Birmingham and then sort of my, my kind of career in, in the kitchen went from sort of like French fine dining. And then when I was setting up Bates in Brick, I was actually working as a general manager for Nando's because what I found was as, as a chef, when I trained, you didn't really learn much around about the, the business side of stuff. But a friend of mine worked for Nando's. He knew that they would teach a lot to do with sort of management skills. And, and that's what I did for about a year and a half, two years. Plus, you kind of consciously went, right, I need to stop cooking and learn the business side before I start my own thing. I was always thinking of setting up my own business. I didn't go to Nando's, to be honest, because that's what... I had the plan to do. I went there at the time I had just left my um, previous job working in a, in a kitchen and I was just kind of thinking, what shall I do now? And like I said, a friend of mine was working for Nando's. Um, he raved about the company and, and I'll, I'll hand on heart, it's a great company to work for. So yeah, I got a job with them and, and worked for them for about two years. Excellent. So kind of one of those things in retrospect, it was a brilliant move, but you didn't realise quite how brilliant at the time. Yes, 100%. Very cool. And how did you identify the idea for your new business? How did that come to you? So whenever I go to street food events, you, you, and I always say to people, you buy with your eyes. There's, there's so many different food outlets there. You need something that's going to catch your eye. And it's not always somebody's menu. It may not even be the food that they are are cooking. A lot of the time it's to do with how their stand work, uh, looks. And I knew that I wanted a stand that was going to really stand out. And that's where the mini came in. Uh, my mum had a mini, uh, a few of them when we were younger. I remember, you know, long drives to school or down south to the seaside, always in my mum's mini. So I've always had a love affair with, with classic minis. And it was one night, I always tell the story, I was a bit drunk. Uh, I was watching loads on eBay and and I got that kind of frantic clicking where you're getting outbid. And by the end of it, um, I bought this blue classic mini convertible with six months tax, 12 months MOT. And, and, and that's where Bates and Brick started. Well, so, so it started with the car rather than the food? Yeah, kind of. I mean, if you backtrack slightly, um, prior to setting up Bates and Brick, I've always liked cooking over wood and fire and in, in sort of pizza oven. So I built my own pizza oven in the garden. So I knew the business was always going to be based around a wood-fired oven, but I didn't quite know what it was going to be. So when I did buy the Mini, I did have the foresight that I was going to put a pizza oven on the Mini. Wow. So before you could really get started, you had to work out how to put a pizza oven in a, in a classic Mini. Yep. So, I mean, this, this is where wow. the fun was. So um, I watched a lot of YouTube videos, uh, did a lot of research, uh, spoke to as many different people with regards to how to build an oven, uh, went on loads of different forums. I literally, it took over my life for six, seven, eight months. I mean, the mini just sat there whilst I was sort of working out how I was going to do this. And 
one thing I will say, because I did so much research in it, by the time I came to do it, I'd watched so many videos and spoke to so many different people about what to do, what not to do. Obviously, there's lots of things along the way that I wish I'd done differently, but I was pretty well equipped to, to build the pizza oven. Yeah, and you'd already built one yourself as well. So I guess, it, you know, there is, it's worth doing all that research so you get it right first time, isn't it? It is right, yeah. I mean, the difference with the one that I built in the garden, that was built out of like house bricks. Now, if I had put one like that on the mini, it would have been just far too heavy. So I had to try and find out how to build a really good, uh, strong pizza oven that was going to hold the heat in and also hold traveling up and down the country to different events and different festivals. Um, but it also needed to be light as well, because otherwise the mini wouldn't have been able to take the weight, basically. And did you drive the mini to all these events? No. So this is this is the other bits that we found out over time. The original idea was was because obviously we we stripped the mini down. We took the mini. Um, sorry, we took the engine out. We took all the seats out. Everything. And originally, I was going to tow it with um, like a towing arm, but then slowly kind of realised that that wouldn't be the best option for manoeuvring. So in the end, we went down the road of getting a, um, a small car transporter. So we would winch the Mini onto the car transporter and tow the car transporter around to different events. Excellent. So you, what's striking me is that you put an awful lot of work into building the the piece of the puzzle that would attract people to you at the street food events and your kind of cooking environment you must have been, you know, we, we often talk on this on this uh, podcast about testing ideas before you go all in. But did you do much testing of the product before you went all in on the mini or was this a, a big old leap of faith? So, yeah, I did. I mean, when I first set up Baked in Brick, the idea was to do wood-fired pizzas because obviously I built the pizza oven at home. We were having loads of pizza parties in the garden with different family and friends and that sort of thing. And that was the idea um, to do pizza that slowly changed because then what I realized was so many different events and festivals, they already have pizza traders there and to, and to get onto the good ones, it's difficult because like I said, they've already got pizza traders. They don't want any more. So I had to kind of think outside the box and think of something different that nobody else did. And that's where the chicken tikka came in. My dad was born in India. He's half Anglo-Indian. As kids, we grew up eating chicken tikka every Sunday. And it was something that I cooked a lot at home on the barbecue. And nobody else was doing that at all. And I knew that my chicken tikka was really, really good. <laughs> so so the, with the mini, with the pizza oven, you were cooking chicken tikka pizzas? So... I'm not going to lie, we have done a chicken tikka before, chicken tikka pizza. But the idea was, it was actually my brother-in-law, he had this, you know, you kind of like brainstorming. And he said, well, why don't you put a, a barbecue into the bonnet? So that was interesting. So again, <laughs> we looked into it and I had sort of like a barbecue made. This was the only thing that I didn't make for the for the um the mini myself and so the idea is is that we would barbecue the chicken tikka over coals under the bonnet of the mini we would cook the flatbreads through the wood-fired oven and then we would obviously finish it off and if I'm honest I think the reason why we did so well so quick was because of that it's how it looked when people came to the different festivals came to events had this classic mini with a wood-fired oven on top this 
this barbecue under the bonnet, all these flames and, you know, smoke and smells coming from it. I use these skewers and they look like swords. So that was just eye catching in itself. And that was the kind of the start of our baked in brick journey. Nice. And um, the, the very first event you were selling at, that, that was as successful as you just described? It was, yeah. So the first event I ever did with Digbeth Dining Club, um, they are the kind of pioneers of street food. I would even say in the UK, but massive, massive, massive in Birmingham. Um, I used to go to their events all the time um, in Digbeth. And it was actually, it was actually Jack who, who runs Digbeth Dining Club that said to me, look, we've got pizza traders, but we don't want any more. What else can you do? And I said to him, well, what about chicken tikka? I do these really nice chicken tikka wraps. And he said, his words to me were, my girlfriend's Indian. I love Indian food. If you can do chicken tikka wraps, you're in. And that was it. Which I guess just goes to show how important it is getting to know other people in your space, especially when he's essentially a supplier to you because he he's who you're going to buy the, the spot off in order to get into the festivals. That's right. Um, okay, I, I I could quite happily talk about food an awful lot more, but we're not here to talk about the food. We're here to talk about how you got started in the business. So whilst all the the mini conversion was going on and the having the discussions about exactly what food you were actually going to be selling was going on, how did you tackle dealing with all the the kind of the legal stuff, the structure, the registering with HMRC and that kind of stuff? How did you tackle that part of starting the business? Sure. So obviously, first stage is, is um, setting up a you know a business and a business name. So I set up Bates and Brick myself through the HMRC website. It's really really easy to do. Um, I set myself up as a limited company. I felt that was the right thing for me to do at the time. I mean, you do have a partnership. There are different ways you can set up a business. The the benefits that I feel, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trained in this, but the benefits I feel of being a limited company, it limits the liability on me personally. So what I mean by that is, is that when I'm setting up a new business and I'm taking on different events and different, different avenues, I'm personally employed by the business. I own the business, but I'm employed by the business. So basically because it's the onus is on the business it's the business that takes the risk not saying that what i do isn't risky and i don't i don't see it like that but i believe on paper that's how it is yeah and i guess one of the reasons you decided to take that step was because you were going to be in the food and event space that's right yeah and obviously it was new for me i didn't know how things were going to go obviously my outlook is never it might fail or my outlook still is never, it might fail because you're just setting yourself up to fail. You've got to have a positive outlook and that's what it was. But I think when I looked at either being a sole trader, a limited company, or obviously it wasn't a partnership, I took the, I took the decision to, to, set it, to set it up as a limited company. And we've spoken about how you took advice from people running food festivals and you took advice from, you know, brainstorming with friends and family who had some brilliant ideas, you know, putting a barbecue in the front of the mini, clearly genius. Um, Were there other places you went to for help, other advisors you spoke to, to help you on this journey? 100%. So when I was setting up, like I said, I used to go to loads of different street food events and I went to the British Street Food Awards that at the time was in Manchester and... 
I spoke to a guy called Richard who runs the British Street Food Awards. And I asked him, I says, you know, I really want to get into street food. I said, I've got this idea of having this mini and doing this and doing that. And I know Richard really well now, but at the time he'd never met me before. And he, and it was one of those, like just somebody else trying to talk to him. And all he said to me was, have you joined NCAS? And that's the National Caterers Association. And I said, no, I've never heard of NCAS. And he says, join NCAS. And they will help you with everything that you need. So that's what I did. I joined NCAS. And fast forward all these years, I'm really good friends with them now. I know them personally. And NCAS is an organization that helps either street food traders or hospitality in A, setting up their business. Um, they help you with all your, all your due diligence, as in all your EHO. Um, they help you with all your insurances, your public liability. You get support off them, whether it's legal support, whether it's accounting support. And they are the kind of body that you need to set yourselves up, basically. Um, you mentioned EHO there. What's that? Environmental Health Officer. Oh, ever so slightly important. <laughs> They are very important. And look, I think everybody's got a bit of a stigma in with the hospitality industry that EHO are the enemy. They're not the enemy at all. Um, they are here to do a job to make sure that you are trading uh, properly, legally, and you know, you've know you got your staff and the public's best interests at heart. As long as you've done everything you're meant to do and you've ticked all the boxes, there's no problem at all. If they do come into your venue or whether they come to a street food event and you're not trading properly they are there to identify that point it out either help you give you advice or obviously they've got powers to take other measures but as long as you follow your due diligence and do what you're meant to do you've got no problems at all it sounds like the the ncas recommendation and getting in contact with them so that's the national caterers association in your industry was utterly essential to make the launch process easy it's it's massive because Simple things like all your documents, all your um, legal documents are all in one place. And they have this thing called a passport. So when you, you know, you log into the portal that you're, you know, you're associated with. And when you apply to different street food events and they come back to you and they say, yeah, you're, you're accepted. But can you send us all your documents? You just click one thing and it sends all the documents over. That's one small part of it. They also help you find um, um, work as well so you can put your postcode in and where you want to work you put your food type and then when different events are looking for traders they'll then on their side of the website put in what they're looking for then it'll send alerts out to you so then you can then actively find work as well and that was massive for me at the start because obviously I didn't know anybody then I didn't know anybody personally at the different events and by being able to bridge that relationship through NCAS that was just really, really beneficial for me. Very nice. And so we've spoken a bit about how you found the the, the street food events to become part of. How did, I'm guessing, and that you know, and that you you didn't know many people in that world, but you found ways into it. I'm guessing you were slightly better set up with your you know past history in the in the catering space to find suppliers for your food products, or was that something that was also um, also challenging? You are right. I was look, lucky because, I mean, simple things like I was used to going to Birmingham Wholesale Market to get fruit and veg when I worked as a chef. So that that was great. I knew where to get my products from. There were some things, for instance, like let's let's take, for instance, my my pizza flour. 
Um, I had to, I knew what flour I wanted, but I didn't know who sold it. So I had to do a lot of research online to find who imported that flour. And then when I found them, they then put me in touch with somebody that supplied me locally. So there were some things that I had to go and find myself, but then there were other things that I was already quite familiar with. Excellent. And uh, so a mixture of research and knowing the right places to go from what you knew before. And how did you come up with the name Baked in Brick? Again, that's, that was just a massive brainstorming with friends. Um, so many different names came up, you know, the little mini pizza club, um, the mini pizza. Obviously, we we were throwing around words like baked and brick and or baked in mini, the Cooper mini club. There's so many different names. But one thing I didn't want to do was single myself out to, even though I was using the mini, I didn't want the name to include the mini because if I ever decided to move away from the mini, the name might have to change. So that's where kind of baked in brick came from. Yes, I was going to say, now that you've, you've, now taken on your own physical premises and you're running a restaurant which is still called baked in brick you must be quite re- i was going to say you must be quite relieved to uh, to not have mini in the name but of course that was was part of the plan all along so moving from a street food business to a bricks and more a bricks and mortar restaurant business has that been a big shift because it's a it's a big change of business model isn't it if i'm honest running a street food event is so much easier than running a restaurant um there's so many different factors. I mean, if you look at a festival, for instance, you go to that festival, you trade. If, say, for instance, it hasn't been a good trading week, you you know you pay your pitch fee, you pay your staff, you pay for your food, but then that's it. Um, sometimes you might make a loss, but most of the time, if you do it right, you'll make a profit. With the restaurant, so many different factors come into it. If it snows, if coronavirus happens, um, you know it. If it's Christmas, so many different factors affect the restaurant than in street food. So I've had to adapt and change a lot on running a restaurant from running a street food business. And over the the whole of this, you know, now, now you can look back a few years on from starting up and from, from shifting business models. What is the number one thing now that you would do differently if you were to start your business again? I think the only thing I do differently is have a much better understanding on numbers. When I was setting up, so many people used to say to me, do you know your costings? Do you know your numbers? And I kind of just thought to myself, well, it's all just going to kind of fall into place. I've got a great product. I'm doing really well. I'm making money. What, what does that matter? And I, I sound quite silly saying that now, considering I ran Nando's restaurants for two years and they're all about numbers. But I think that's really, really important that you get a great accountant, somebody that is familiar with the trade that you are doing. So for me, it's it's food and hospitality. And then you do need to understand your break-evens, you know, what you need to take in an event to, to break even, where your profit line is. And that's something all these years on, I've now got a great accountant. I now know my numbers. I use the P&L, which was a horrible word to me before, but it's a really inviting word to me now. And I think that's really, really key in any business. Excellent. I, I, I like it. P&Ls are so scary. 
But once you get your head around it and you, you work out how it helps you, then they become a lot less so. So I'm really glad you've, you've gone through that one. They are. Just to touch upon the P&L, when I was at Nando's, I didn't understand the P&L just because of how it was explained to me and how, I wouldn't say it's how Nando's set it up. If I looked at Nando's P&L now, I could, I could literally rip it apart and know it inside out. But I just didn't get it then. I don't think I got it because it wasn't my business, even though you were encouraged to run each restaurant like your own business. But now I know my business inside and out. I understand what the P&L is about. And I also have the autonomy to move the P&L and make it look however I want. And my accountant appreciates that. And he does that for me. So now when I get my P&L sent through to me, I know where I'm doing well. I know where I'm not doing well. But also what's really important is it's really you should know what's going to be on your P&L before you receive it. So I know if it's going to be a good P&L because I'm, I'm in the business every single day. And that's what I think is important. You need to be inside your business, not on the outside of it. I think you make another really good point though, which I think a lot of people think, oh, the accountant sent me the P&L. It's not my right to change it. And it's like, no, it's your P&L. If you want it in pink Helvetica font, put it in pink Helvetica font. If you want things named differently, name them differently because it's your tool as the business owner and um, and you you it, it benefits so much to understand what's being said in there. Yep. Well, look, Lee, um, thank you so much for coming on. Before we say goodbye, could you let the listeners know how they can find you and your business on the web, please? So we are baitsandbrick.co.uk. All our socials is Bates and Brick, uh, whether it's Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Please, if anybody has any questions or anything, always feel free to go through the website. My email address is on there. Um, one thing that always did great for me was being able to ask people questions and get in honest answers. So I'm always here if anybody's got any questions. But yeah, Bates and Brick. Excellent. Lee, thank you so much for being a, an excellent guest. It's been really, really interesting following your startup story with you. Thank you very much for having me. So another fascinating journey through a startup experience there. And I thought uh, for me, the key points were around the P&L, it's yours. Just like we were just saying about, it's really worth getting to grips with it and making sure you understand and getting it structured and worded in the way that's going to help you. So I think the P&L point was a really good one. Um, I also thought, uh, you know, Lee was recommending that as a caterer, one of the best things he did was make contact with NCAS, the National Caterers Association, who were able to give him lots of startup advice tailored to his industry. And those kind of organisations exist in most industries. Um, it, they can just be a little bit hard to find sometimes. So if there's one in your industry, find out if there is and see how they can help you especially if you're in an industry when there's where there's those kind of extra things you've got to do like the EHO bits the insurance elements and those things that are that are unique to catering because that will save you a lot of time and effort in the meantime and then i think the third one was how many people lee spoke to to get advice on how to build the business. That short conversation at the award ceremony gave him knowledge of NCAS, which he didn't previously have. He had the brainstorming sessions with friends and family who essentially were his target market. And that led to the name and ideas like putting a, putting a barbecue in the front of the mini. 
He also used contacts he'd made at a couple of um, festivals as well to get insight in what he ended up cooking. So make the most of connections and, and forge new connections where you need to to get the advice you need to help you progress. Now, you can get the notes from this episode and links to all those juicy free resources at startupdonut.co.uk forward slash podcast. And that's donut spelt D-O-N-U-T. So startupdonut.co.uk forward slash podcast. There you'll also find a wealth of advice and guides to help you launch and grow. As you know, this series is here to hold your hand through setting up and launching your new business. So next up, we'll be covering all things marketing with Aggie Maroney from White Bee Digital, who's sharing a lot of easy to do tips around how to do the marketing that's going to kickstart your startup journey and bring in those sales. And yes, we will be covering email marketing, SEO, social media and much more. If you're enjoying the series, um, please, please spread the word and tell any others you know who are setting up a business right now because we'd love to help them too. Thank you to FSB for making this whole series possible. And don't forget to download their free startup guide. Details coming up in a moment. Running your own business is exciting. You've got a great idea, the ambition to succeed, and lots of questions about how you can make your business a success in tough times. That's why the Federation of Small Businesses is behind you every step of the way, whatever your ambitions. The FSB Startup Hub has everything you need to know about starting a business, including business law basics, finance fundamentals, and how to secure your first sale. From startup to scale up, start your business journey with FSB. Find out more and download a free startup guide today by visiting fsb.org.uk/start.